If you have your Bibles, I would invite you to join me in John 16. I read our passage just a a moment or so ago, and our theme this morning around the Word is a pathway to hope. Uh, And the the truth and the um, amazing reality of, of that truth is that as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, is there is hope. We live with this ever-present living hope. And the world has no hope to offer. They will offer uh, counterfeits. They will offer uh, temporary um, possibilities that perhaps might find temporary satisfaction, joy. But the reality is the only source for lasting, everlasting joy and peace and hope is through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and today we're going to be reminded of that once again this morning in these, some of what's the final instruction to his disciples uh, on the way to the garden. Uh, and as we're headed there, I just wonder if you uh, perhaps can relate in that ever been in a conversation and depending on what the information was in the conversation, uh, you're in the conversation, you're trying to hang with the conversation, but eventually it just reaches to this point where your brain or heart just can't take much more and you just kind of get that glazed over and you kind of tap out of the conversation because there's just so much that's coming at you. I, I think of the time or just like any time, whether it's like anything to do with a vehicle or car or electronics, like I'll have somebody who really knows what they're doing and they're talking to me like I understand and I'm trying to hang with them. Uh, But at some point, carburetors and alternators and flux capacitors just start being talked about and I just kind of tap out like my brain can't like I'm just like, I I trust you. I, I don't I don't understand that world. But maybe you've been there. You've been in that conversation and there's just information overload to the point where you're like, I, I'm out. I can't, I can't handle anymore. And I, I share that because not apples and apples, but the disciples in this text are at a place where their hearts and their minds can't really handle much more. Like Jesus has poured a lot into them in these these really these past few hours from that upper room into where we're at in John 16. And we've been walking through the gospel of John and we started in John 13, which is where the the upper room discourse happens and Jesus has that final meal with his disciples. We We began John 13 back at the beginning of March. And so March and April and now we're into May, we have been spending months in what has happened in a conversation that's happening in just a few hours of time. So Jesus is pouring a lot into them. He's talked about many things. And, and back in verse 12 of John 16, Jesus said this to his disciples. He said, I have many things to say to you, but you can't bear them now. So Jesus knows his people. He loves his people. And he sees where they're at. He understands they've been through a lot. He understands he's sharing a lot. And he can see where they're at. And he's discerning, obviously, as the omniscient God that, that there's, they're processing a lot right now. Matter of fact, just even since they've had the meal in these past few hours that we've been reading about up to John 16, he's, he's shared with them of his incredible love. He's 
washed their feet. He spoke to them about heaven. And I love in John 14 verses 2 and 3 says, In my Father's house are many rooms. And if it were not so, would I have told you that I go and prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. He's talked to them about heaven. He's also talked to them about the Holy Spirit. God says, I'm going to ask the Father and He's going to send another helper. That another means one of same kind. He's speaking of the Holy Spirit. And earlier in the evening in that conversation, John 16, verses 7 and 10, Jesus says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. To which I'm thinking the disciples are like, uh-uh, no, Jesus. Like, I think it's to our advantage that you stay right here and you don't go anywhere. But he says, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. So he's talked about heaven. He's talked about the Holy Spirit who will indwell them and comfort them and empower them. He speaks to them encouraging promises about prayer and is actually teaching them a new way to pray, to pray in his name. In John 14, 12, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also, or excuse me, about the greater work they'll be a part of, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do. Because I'm going to the Father. He's telling them their, their work isn't going to be to like a greater power. There's nobody more powerful than God. But to the extent that the gospel is going to go all through the world. And God is going to use them to take that gospel message to the ends of the earth. And so you see this greater work they're going to be a part of. And then I mentioned the prayer. This new way of praying in His name. He says in John 14 verses 13 and 14. Whatever you ask in my name which means according to His will, according to His character, according to His design for His glory, that whatever you ask in My name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son, if you ask Me anything in My name. So He's, he's talked about heaven. He's talked about the Holy Spirit. He's talked about the greater work they're going to be a part of. He's talked about this new way of praying in His name. And, and that's a lot and that's not even to mention the fact that he says, and one of you will betray me. And by this time, Judas has left. And not only has that, he's washed their feet and he's told the disciples, he's like, the world is going to hate you. They're going to kick you out of your synagogues. And he tells them, and when they kill you, they're going to think they're offering a service to God. So in this hours long conversation, he has poured a lot of truth into them. And there's a, I mean, like he, like all of the goodness and greatness of the promises of God and also the understanding that persecution, affliction is coming and even to the point where someone will take your life for my name and they're going to think they're offering an act of worship to God. And he's pouring this into them and they're soaking all of this in. And yet it all culminates with one of the greatest promises and comforts found in all of Scripture. I mentioned it a moment ago, but verse 33 is where we're going to land. And Jesus says this, Take heart, take heart, I have overcome the world. Take heart, I have overcome the world. Our main idea this morning in the Word 
is that a genuine belief in the gospel of Jesus Christ provides us with a living hope. That a genuine belief in the gospel of Jesus Christ provides us a living hope. And we're going to see this as we walk verses 25 through verse 33 this morning. And that living hope is such a powerful word. Such a powerful word. As believers, we carry this living hope as a constant promise and source of strength and grace and confidence in the Lord. And yet we live in a world that is longing and grasping for hope. And yet every avenue other than the Lord Jesus in a relationship with Him is a dead end road. Only through Christ is there lasting hope. It really is true for the believer. The best is truly yet to come. The best is yet to come. To come, And so this living hope doesn't just happen. It's actually a, an effect of, as we walk through the text, a genuine belief in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's look at a genuine belief. In verse 25, the Bible says this, I have said these things. Jesus said, I have said these things to you in figures of speech. And the hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech but will tell you plainly about the Father. So there are going to be times and through the ministry of Jesus where Jesus has spoken to them in a way that has been figurative language. And the disciples, as we could imagine if we try to put ourselves in the disciples' shoes, there's a a lack of understanding as they go in, in some of the truths that Jesus is teaching them. Now, it's all going to eventually make sense. But if you think about it in the moment as Jesus is training them and teaching them, it's not 100% understandable. I think of it like in our, in our living room, we have windows, and, and maybe you do too. And we have, I think they're called sheer curtains. And so you can, you can pull the curtains over and you can see through them. Like you can see the grass and the trees and the road. And you can make out, but, but it's not that crystal clear picture but as, as, as Christ is going to send the helper, the Holy Spirit, they're going to understand everything in a clear and understandable way. It's like Christ is going to remove the curtain and they'll be like, oh, I get it. Like, I understand what Jesus was saying. There were several moments along their discipleship journey where there was this confusion or even a lack of understanding. One of those was back in Mark chapter 9, verses 9 and 10. And this is after the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus has revealed Himself in an unmistakable, manifest way. And so they're walking down the mountain and no doubt they're trying to process what they have just seen. And here's what the Bible says in verse 9 of Mark 9. And as they were coming down the mountain, He charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. And so they kept this matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. It makes so much sense to us as we look back at the empty tomb and the cross. But for them, the cross hasn't yet happened. The empty tomb hasn't yet happened. And so they're processing what's going on. In Mark chapter 9, verses 31-32, just a few verses later, the Bible says, For he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, that the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill Him. And when He is killed, after three days, He will rise again. But they did not understand the saying, and they were afraid to ask. Again, Jesus is preparing them. 
He's preparing them, but they can't quite clearly understand all that Christ is pouring into them. But they will. After the cross, after the empty tomb, when they are visiting with the resurrected Christ, and He sends the Holy, the Holy Spirit, the Helper, they're going to understand what Christ has been teaching them all along the way. That This hour is coming for them where the, the, the veil curtain will be literally torn and they understand all Christ was pouring into them. In verse 26, the Bible says that in that day you will ask in my name and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed I came from God. So because of the finished work that's about to happen in a few hours on the cross, and because just a few days later when that tomb is going to be empty, that there is a truth here that because of the finished work of Christ, they will have, and we as believers today, have the blessing of direct communication with the Father. That there's no need to go through anybody else to have access to the throne room of God. That if you think about the Jewish people and those Jewish disciples, their history, you know, you don't need an Abraham or Isaac or Jacob or a Moses or a, or a priest. That in the temple, there was the, there was the Holy of Holies and it was there that the Jews would, 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 would know that the presence of God was manifest in a, in a mighty way and there was a curtain that was placed between the Holy of Holies and the next room of the temple. And only one person, the high priest, could go into that Holy of Holies. Only one person, and even then, only one day a year. And so there was this, like, you go through the priest, you have the mediator and, and all these things, and, and, and what Jesus is saying is, you're going to have direct access to the Father because of the work that will be finished on the cross on your behalf. Straight access. Now, this is going to be super sarcastic, but how many of you have had the joy of really needing to talk to somebody who's in charge or something, something's broken, not working, and you need to talk to the person in charge because you need to make it right, and so you call the number on what's ever listed on what you have that's not working, and you get this lovely thing called an automated voice messaging system, right? And it says, listen closely to the options, Option one, this. Option two, this. Option three, this. Option four. By the time you get to option five, you're like, I don't know what my option is. And you just keep waiting. And then you press that number and it says, hold oh, while well, I transfer you. And then another automated voice, uh, voice messaging system picks up. Now dial one for this, dial two for this, dial three for this. And you're just like, I just want to talk to somebody. I just want to talk to the person that can fix it or make it right that's in charge. Like, wouldn't it be awesome to just pick up the phone and go directly to the person you need to talk to? And what Jesus has done for us in the cross is He has created a way for us where there is no need to go through somebody else, through a priest, through a mediator, through some other avenue. No, because of the shed blood of Jesus and the empty tomb, He has made direct access to the Father. That in Hebrews, it speaks for believers this invitation to come boldly to the throne of grace and that you will find grace and help in your hour of need. 
And this is in no shape, form, or fashion a reward to us for our goodness or our reward for us because our good has outweighed our bad or we've had more good days and we've had bad days. No, this is only made available because of the shed blood of Jesus, the finished work of redemption through Christ on the cross in an empty tomb. And because of that, God invites us to come with boldness and confidence. What a blessing to know that we don't have to go through somebody else to have access to the throne room of heaven 24 hours a day, seven days a week. No holidays, no like open these hours, close this hours, no direct access. What a blessing. And he has instructed his disciples, you're going to pray in a new way. You're going to pray in my name. You're going to pray in my name because think about it. We, it's almost automatic for us. In Jesus' name, amen. In Jesus' name, amen. This is how Jesus has commanded his followers to pray. To pray in his name is to pray in alignment with his will and in his character. So what a gift that we have in prayer. Because possibly when somebody prays or, or somebody's invited to pray or somebody's asked to pray, sometimes they'll say something like this. Let's go to the Father in prayer. Let's go to the Father in prayer. If y'all will join me, let's go to the Father in prayer. And then it will likely end with, in Jesus' name, amen. And this is because God has invited us into His throne room through Christ, to the throne room of the Father. And He invites us to come with boldness and to ask whatever it may be in His name, which means in accordance to His will, in accordance to His character, in accordance to His design, and He will answer. What an incredible, incredible blessing. So there is this genuine belief. This genuine belief. But it's not a genuine belief in a cosmic force or a, or a genuine belief in a higher power. No, it's very specific. Lasting hope is only found through a genuine belief in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Like that's the only source, the only place. He says in verse 27, the Bible says, for the Father Himself loves you because you have loved me and I have believed that I came and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. I love this passage right here, verse 28, because it is the gospel in a verse. It's the gospel in a verse. Look at verse 28 again. I came from the Father and have come into the world and now I am leaving the world and I'm going to the Father. This is the good news. The good news is that sinful man has no way, no way to earn our way to heaven, be good enough to get to heaven or to pay our, a price uh, to take care of our sin issue before a holy God. So God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whosoever believes in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. That God the Father has sent the Son for a mission. And that mission was sent from the Father into the world. When we say into the world, it's what we celebrate during Christmas. The incarnation of Christ, the divine, has clothed Himself in flesh and dwelt among us. He loves us so much that He's made a way where there was no way. And He came why? I love Luke 19.10, to seek and to save 
the lost. That He came so that we might be forgiven and have peace with God and be free. This is why He's come. I've come from the Father, divinity, and have come into the world, His incarnation. I've came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I'm leaving the world. Why? Because the work of redemption is about to be done. It's about to be complete. It's about to be finished. The cross, again, just hours away. It's all about to be over. The work will be finished. The work of the disciples is just beginning, but the work of Christ for redemption is soon to end. And then He's going back to the Father, to the right hand of the Father, to which He will come again. And we await His second coming. On Wednesday nights, I've been helping the kiddos on Wednesday nights. And at the end of the night, a lot of the kids, they'll memorize verses and they'll come and they'll share the verse that they memorized. And uh, I, I love, I had, I had a, a little girl run up to me Wednesday night after church and said, Pastor Jared, Pastor Jared, I'm ready. I'm ready to say my verse. And I was like, okay, like, what, which one do you want to say? And they say, Luke 19.10. I have come to seek and save the lost. Luke 19.10. I was like, yes, yes, that's awesome. And it was just encouraging to hear, I've come to seek and save the lost. They're, they're like just this excitement of knowing the word. And it's just this reminder of this is why he's come. This is why he's come to seek and to save the lost. He has come from the Father and has come into the world. And now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. Jesus Christ is God. John 1.1, 1, 1, we started when we opened the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. You go down a few more verses, it said the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. You know what's amazing about that word, dwelt? It means tabernacled. God has come to tabernacle among us. In other words, you look back in the Old Testament, you see this traveling tabernacle, and then it was set up in Jerusalem as the temple, and the temple was there to, to, to be that marker of the presence of God with His people. And so what is Jesus saying? I've come to tabernacle with you. He's saying, I am the presence of God because I am God, and I am with you. It's a beautiful picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So as you look at this text, He says in verse 32, Here on earth... Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. What a comforting, comforting, comforting truth. So go back in verse 29. We talk about this lasting living hope. And it's all a result of a genuine belief in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the only way. In verse 29, his disciples said, Oh, now you're speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. They're beginning to understand more and more. They're beginning to understand more and more. The plan of redemption is becoming clearer and clearer. In verse 31, Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? So their faith was genuine, but it's a young faith. It's a young faith. They're growing in their understanding. They're, they're gaining a clear understanding of who Jesus is. I will say this. I feel that as, as, as a believer, when you walk with the Lord and you spend time in His Word and prayer and you grow, we talk about growing in your faith. Like I believe at age 44-ish, right? 
that I have a greater understanding of God's grace than I did when I accepted Christ as a 10-year-old boy. And God has used His Word and the church and a family of faith, and He's used His truth to grow me in that understanding. They're growing in their understanding of who Jesus is. But in verse 31 again, Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Their faith is growing. Verse 32, Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. So if you were to fast forward in Acts chapter 2, you would find the disciple Peter boldly, courageously standing in Jerusalem with thousands of people proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. But if you rewind and you find Peter on the night of Christ's crucifixion, you will find him cowering in an upper room with the door locked for fear that he was going to be next. And so you're like, what in the world happens from the from the upper room on a Friday night with the door locked to standing in a city uh, proclaiming the Word of God, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came, the Helper, and empowered them for the work of the Gospel, the message of the Gospel. But what's happening here is they are scared. They are fearful. Jesus is telling them, Behold, you're about to be scattered. You're about to be scattered. And there are times, there are times when perhaps we feel like we fail God. Like Jesus is preparing them, preparing them, preparing them, and then, and, then, and then Judas comes and the mob comes and they're gone. And I just wonder how many people in the room today might have a heavy heart because maybe it was a decision, maybe it was multiple decisions carrying different consequences and weights, but you look back and it's a burden you continue to carry because for, you, you feel in your heart like you failed God in some way. That you failed God, that you let God down. And, and, and here is the power of the gospel, is that failure is never final with God. It's never final, or it's, it's never forever. Failure is never final. That's why I love Peter Peter did deny Christ those three times, but yet you find him on a seashore with the resurrected Christ, Christ forgiving him and reaffirming him and empowering him to where in just a short amount of time he's going to be preaching the gospel. And so may we be encouraged today that our failure is never final with God. Yes, there are consequences to our sin, but God's grace and the power of forgiveness are so Such a gift in a believer's life. That in Christ we are forgiven by Him. And though there are times where we may fail Him, He never, ever fails us. So He's preparing them. And in verse 33, He says, I have told you all of this so that you may have peace in Me. He's told them a lot. I've told you all of this so that you may have peace in Me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. What a great comforting word. He is holding nothing back from his disciples. 
Again, that upper room. He's talked to them about his love to the end with them. He's told them about heaven. He's told them about the greater works. Told them about the Holy Spirit that's going to empower them. Told them how to pray and to pray in his name. They've said a lot. And in the same breath, he has told them that the world will hate you. You're going to be kicked out of the synagogues. And when they kill you, they're going to think they're offering a worship, a worship to God. And now he's telling them that they are going to be scattered. And yet after all of that, I love just the grace of God. He says this to him after he says all of that. Cheer up. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> what a powerful word. That's what the word means. When the word says, take heart. Like if you were to bring that into the American lingo, you would read it, read it as cheer up. Cheer up. Why? Because in the midst of great darkness and great brokenness and great struggle that is coming, you can cheer up because I have overcome the world. And I think of believers who are suffering for their faith around our world and you see that it's the scriptures that give them comfort and hope that, that this is a temporary brokenness that we all experience and we see and that we're a part of. And I think about even in our lives, in our world, all of the brokenness we see will soon pass away, will soon disappear like, just think about this. There will be no more tears. Not a, another tear will be shed. You think about this. Not another doctor visit. Not another medication. Not another funeral. Not, not another uh, battle with anxiety or stress or depression or, or all those different things. Why? Because we can cheer up because... Jesus says, I have overcome the world through him. Through him, we have this living hope that is this source of everlasting strength and power and confidence because of the empty tomb. Like I almost think, I don't know if any of y'all, either, either you grew up or you've ever seen like a literal well, like you, you lower down the bucket and you pull the bucket back up and you get water. Anybody? Anybody had that? It's really, it's, it's really awesome. My, one of my grandmothers had one. I used to go play in it all the time. Probably didn't want to drink that water after that. But I was just always amazed because it's just like, it's just always there. And so I think about this living hope as a believer. Like we carry this living hope with us wherever we go. And when we find ourselves in despair or we find ourselves in discouraging moments and discouraging times, we can remember to take cheer that we can, we can experience this living hope that's with us anytime we need that gentle reminder that Jesus says to his children, take heart, cheer up, I have overcome the world. And so I want to encourage a heavy heart today, and you might be one of those heavy hearts. You're struggling and you might even use the word despair. And you're, 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 you're wanting that, that joy, that peace, that hope. And yet even today we are comforted by the words of Jesus that says, I have overcome the world. Take cheer. Take cheer. And it's through a relationship with Jesus that we can experience and have confidence 
in the living hope that is only through Christ. And I would also share to the heart who may be here and living apart from a relationship with King Jesus, and it is possible that you have tried everything seeking for that lasting joy, lasting peace, and lasting hope. And if we had an open mic and we had testimony time, I would imagine we have testimony of testimony of people who thought they would find that hope and that joy and that satisfaction in something other than Christ. But I think everyone would testify. Maybe there was this temporary satisfaction or maybe this temporary joy or even this temporary hope. But I think we all understand that those roads don't last and they're dead-end roads. And the only source of lasting hope And satisfaction and joy is through a relationship with Jesus. And so I just pray and encourage you. God loves you. I pray you hear this through the word. God loves you so much that he has come to make a way where there was no way to be forgiven, to have peace with God, and to experience that lasting hope that only he can give. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. And thank you for your word, God. I thank you for this powerful instruction that you're pouring into your disciples. You're pouring into their hearts, their minds, their ears. They've absorbed much in what has just been a short amount of time from the, since the beginning of the meal in the upper room. And God, you have reminded them of the incredible promises and comfort of what await them. And God, you also made them aware of the trial and sorrow that will come. But God, in the midst of that, you follow that up by saying, cheer up. Take heart. I have overcome the world. And so, Father, I pray, Lord, for that heart who is struggling today, God. May they be encouraged and reminded of the living hope that is available, God, through that genuine belief in the gospel of Jesus Christ, God. Comfort them in an unmistakable way, God, that the brokenness and the sorrow is not forever grief as it has been shared grief has an expiration date and we thank you for that but only because of the finished work of Christ on the cross in the empty tomb so father I pray the struggling heart would find encouragement today and God I also pray for that that soul that is perhaps wandering around and looking for that lasting hope lasting joy lasting peace that the world tries so hard to promise but can never deliver that God today they would hear your gospel message for them your gospel truth for them that today would be the day that they acknowledge their sin repent of their sin turn from that and turn to you and receive you as Lord and Savior of their lives God and experience that grace, that forgiveness, and that living hope. So God, we love you, we praise you, and we give you glory for the hope that is found in you. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.
Amen. We're going to sing a song of response. I invite you to join me. Stand and uh, we'll have pastors here who would love to pray over you and for you. If we can be a blessing, the altar is always open. But I just encourage us to lay our hearts before the Lord and that we'll be sensitive to obey and however the Lord might use this time. Let's worship the Lord together.